Welcome. This is My Truth is a platform for honest, open conversations. The stories I share or that others share are often not spoken about or discussed, but once told, I believe they have the ability to shine a light on another perspective or a much needed conversation. These stories may make us laugh, some may make us cry, but together we will learn from one another and begin to heal. Because walls need to be torn down, masks need to come off, stories need to be heard in order for our truths to be told. This is my truth. Will you tell me yours? Hello, hello, podcast world. Welcome back to This Is My Truth. I'm your host, Jesse Sherloff, and I am honestly humbled to bring to you this conversation that I have with my friend, Morgan. Morgan, I've known for almost two years now, and it has just been this amazing journey to be on the sidelines, cheering her on, seeing her really explore and come back to herself. And, you know, I frankly look up to her because a lot of what she has done is the journey that I am on myself in terms of rediscovering who I am. And Morgan shares her journey with such vulnerability that I just, I really have to appreciate, um, the level of introspection and authenticity that she brought to our conversation. Morgan shares her own journey around um, postpartum depression, but also the her experience of being the older sibling to her brother who experienced sexual abuse and what that experience was like for her, but also as a family and how they found healing as a family. A bit more about Morgan in her own words is Morgan Ruff works with wild women and wild souls who somehow got lost in the woods. She guides them back to their intuition so that they can trust themselves and stand more clearly in their own center. She does this by exploring the wild nature of our feelings, thoughts, and beliefs, and how they inform our life actions. By digging into themselves, women find the freedom to live a life more authentically aligned with their wildest nature and truest dreams. Morgan is the mama of two wild girls and lives in Mount Vernon, Washington, where she spends her days working for a tribal community facilitating endangered species recovery for our beloved Pacific Northwest salmon and killer whales. Through her life... She's been a kayak guide in Alaska, a boat captain, naturalist, elite level cyclist, and has climbed to the summit of some of the most notable peaks in the area. Currently, she's navigating homeschooling work and a coaching business, all while all of which are guided by her core desired feelings. I highly encourage you to check out Morgan on Instagram at Morgan Ruff Uplift. That's M-O-R-G-A-N-R-U-F-F Uplift or check out her website at morganruff.com. She also has a podcast that I also recommend you take a listen to after you listen to our conversation. If, you know, my theme for 2021 is, is fuck the handcuffs. And as I think about my conversation with Morgan, 
what I love about what she shares and what I know to be true to her is she is truly living her life guided by her core desired feelings. And in doing so, she's saying fuck the handcuffs to preconceived notions, expectations. She is really living life on her terms and the terms that she and her husband are creating for their family. And there's just something you have to respect in that journey. She's also using gratitude as her cornerstone in all she does. And I've personally taken one of her gratitude courses and it is so, so amazing and mind-blowing. And so I hope you enjoy my conversation with Morgan. If you, if um, this conversation resonates with you, I would love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at this is my truth podcast, or better yet, share this conversation with a friend that you think needs to hear it and then go and follow Morgan as well. Enjoy the conversation. Hello, Morgan. I am so excited to have this conversation. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm always so honored. I feel like, I I know we were talking about this a little bit before we hit record and also earlier today. We've known each other, has it been two years? It's been a while. (laughs) When you said that, I was like, whoa, that's amazing. I feel like my, my time both goes slow quickly and slowly at the same time. Yes. Um, but you know, personally, I I'm super excited to have this conversation because I, as I have been on the sidelines observing and then getting to know you and, you know, I consider you a friend and a confidant, it has been really inspiring to see your journey and see you come home to yourself. And so I'm just pumped to have this conversation. So thank you. Me too. Thank you. It feels good to to finally be home to myself. (laughs) I was like way far away for a long time. (laughs) I got it. I was there too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like to start these conversations with the question, what is the truth that you would like to share today? Yeah. I think the truth that I would like to share today is really about my journey to finding myself and to refinding my joy after a um, full life meltdown, I guess you can say. And the truth that I really hope that people can hear and understand is to know that no matter what your situation is, you are not alone. There are others in this world who have gone through it. And it's in connecting to that sense of common humanity and compassion that we can really truly create a lot of healing in in this, this space that we all occupy together. Yes, I love that on so many, many levels. And I know you and I have had lots of conversations around that, right? The the nature of all of us, at the heart of all of us, we want to belong. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's, it's hard. I mean, you, we both have just admitted that we were, we've 
we're so far away from ourselves and have come home that journey. And I think so many people can relate to that, whether they're on the journey or haven't even yet realized that they're not home to themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I think what you're saying is, is so very, very true. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your journey. Well, you know, as many journeys in go, um, it hasn't always been a smooth road. I actually had some really, really challenging times in my life. And um, I want to start there, but I also want to share with folks that it does, we do move through it. <laughs> so <laughs> hang with me. I think that uh, the point in the journey that I is usually my reference point is a place that I was at right around Christmas time about five years ago. So I had my, I have two daughters I had, um, and my youngest was about six months old. And it was during that time where I was doing the mom hustle around all the Christmas things. I was working, I was commuting, I was just trying to really be everything to everyone. And it was just so funny looking back on it now, uh, reflecting like, why was I trying to bake like cookies every night with my two-year-old? Like it was just <laughs> like <laughs> over the top in everything that I was doing, but it was really, I do have a tendency and um, sort of an inner drive within me to uh, be Wonder Woman. And when she doesn't go checked, uh, she can really take over. And that Wonder Woman tendency can um, cause me to completely shut down the things that are truly important to me and just really try to keep up with all the expectations, all the needs, all the, you know, everything and the, all the pressure that goes around. Um, and so right around Christmas time, I remember I live in a small town in Western Washington and we have an annual uh, holiday parade where it's all the fire trucks that are in town and all the police cars and very small town feeling and they you know throw out candy and so we took the kids down there and i was exhausted after a long day of working and being up all night and nursing and just constantly under that um you know, challenge of having a new, new baby and being back to work. And I um, can remember I, I got into, I actually got into a screaming match with a woman at our small town Christmas parade. You know, she said something to me, I said something to her. And um, at one point she was like in the street, I was trying to grab some like these little Mardi, Mardi Gras beads that my two-year-old wants. And I didn't want her running into the street with all the cars. So I went out and grabbed it for her. And the woman comes over or snatches them from right in front of me. And she's like, no beads for you, no beads for you. And my entire being crumbled under this interaction that I had with this woman and the whole um, inside of me just completely started to fall apart. And I spent weeks and weeks and weeks replaying these events, reliving the events, telling everybody about the events, thinking about what I should have said, what, what I should have done, you know, all of the um, mental anguish that goes into um, when you have an experience that just feels really weird and icky. I was like, I don't understand this. Um, but 
later on, I think it was two or three weeks later, I was sitting on the floor in front of the Christmas tree with my um, six month old and my two year two and a half year old. And they're, you know, having these like this little magical experience. And I was sitting on the ground and this wave of numbness went over me. And I thought, look at this scene that is in front of me. And I feel nothing. I can't feel any sense of joy. I can't feel any, anything except for, I did feel complete and utter despair and sadness. And at that moment, as I was sitting on the floor, I thought I need to take my life right now. And I, it was so startling and so scary. It's not the first time I've in my life that I've struggled with depression and the suicidal ideation, but it was the first time when I have been a mother and to have those thoughts and those feelings. And then they accompany with this sense of incredible guilt and despair and, oh my God, what, what's going on? And I was at the time I was in the home, home alone. My husband had been um, gone on a ski trip and it took pretty much everything in my willpower to stay there, stay with it. And, you know, thank God my kids were young and I, you know, felt that sense of obligation. Um, but really I, um, I just felt like I can't go on, like, this is it. I am done. And it was after, you know, after my husband got home, I was able to go to the doctor and finally um, get diagnosed. And I had a pretty severe case of postpartum depression. And I thought, wow, um, that was really scary. Like it, it almost came crashing to an end for me at that point. And, you know, the doctor that I saw had really wanted to hospitalize me. And I refused because it was like three days before Christmas and I needed to, to charge on, but I was able to get medication. I was able to start working with a therapist and starting to um, work on myself, give myself more space. And that was shockingly um, one of the very low points, but not the lowest point um, on my road and on my journey. So I think that's really where things started. Thank you. First and foremost for sharing that. Um, I, you know, our experiences are different, but when you said the numbness came over you, I can completely relate to that. And it makes me wonder how many of us can relate to that. And I also am, you know, a superwoman. I, I, I was going to like, what came to me was in disguise, but that's it's not even that it's to your point. Like you have to check that you have to check that tendency of wanting to take it all on. Yeah. Yeah. So just, just thank you. Yeah. I think it's so interesting too, because I think the holidays really bring that out yes. in us <laughs> women. Yeah. I'm sure it does for men too, but just speaking from my own experience and 
you know, all the marketing, everything that we see is so oriented around a particular way of seeing and, and feeling like in promoting this type of like giddiness and joyfulness. And I think for the majority of people that I talk to, that's, that's not their experience of the holiday season. And so, um, there's this like contrast between expectations and then the reality that we are really um, in. And then you marry that with uh, the hormones of postpartum, you know, time and the exhaustion of having young children. It, it, it just mixed for me into this very toxic and, and challenging cocktail that I had to wade through. Yes, I mean, I couldn't agree. We're, we're you know, we're recording this and it's the first week of January, right? And so that holiday season is, is fresh. And for me personally this year, you know, COVID was a lot of things, but I think for me, it allowed me to have permission to, to not do all of that. You know, yeah. I bought less gifts for the kids. They didn't realize, Yeah. you know, it, it was just, it was just, when we allow ourselves that permission, which is hard to do, so hard to do, I want to be honest about that. But when we mm-hmm. allow ourselves that permission, it's amazing for me what the impact is. Yeah. And I think it is, it's just so counterculture. <laughs> it's like yeah. so counter to our culture. So I think that that, I mean, prior to becoming a mom, I've, I had such an adventurous life. I was a guide in Alaska for 10 years and I was an elite level cyclist and I was ski mountaineer. And, um, I really, I, I did a lot and I had a lot of incredible experiences. And when I came into motherhood, I was like, wait, wait, I can't just go climb a mountain anytime I want. Like I have to wait. And I'm somebody who waited a long time to have kids. I had kids a little later on in life. And through my early thirties, it was like my one desire was the thing I just wanted more than anything else is to have children and to get married. And uh, it was very hard learning how to wait and just be patient and my husband's a little younger than me. And so he needed the time to catch up to me to where I was. And, um, and then when I finally did have kids to have that feeling of, oh, wait, what did I just sign up for? Is this really what this is about? And the accumulation, you know, the first one, all the experiences new, but some, something happened in that second child that just made it a little bit um, more challenging for me to deal with. Well, thank you again for sharing. You yeah. mentioned it was a low point, but not, not the, lowest. the lowest. Yeah, yeah. And I think to me, it's always a lesson of, um, it's almost like the universe was like, you need a lot of support coming up. And so we're going to keep knocking you, knocking at your door <laughs> until you finally surrender and go and start taking care of yourself and getting support. Because pretty store, pretty soon a really big storm is coming. So I started working with my therapist, and thank God that I had her. And then I also started to become more aware of my patterns and how I was living, and all the you know challenges that go along with that. And you know, let's see, it was spring of that next year, and 
now my daughter is about nine months and my brother over the past, I don't know, six to nine months prior had been going through a lot of stuff that none of us really understood. He and his wife had eloped and gotten married and it was just, they were, we were so excited for them. But then as soon as they really sealed the deal, tied the knot, he started to uh, really move drastically away from her and do things that was really out of character for him. And none of us could really understand what was going on. And his wife was calling us and saying, I really think something's bad, bad is happening. I think he's going through a, a mental breakdown. And we were like, well, that's just a panicked new wife whose husband is, you know, afraid or whatever. We just didn't really understand. Um, but in the spring, uh, we finally, um, he was finally ready to tell us more about what was, what was happening for him. And I remember the day, unfortunately, like it was, it was yesterday because it was such a, a profound, sad time. But, um, you know, he first was able to meet with my parents who live nearby in the same town. And when he was traveling on his way down, my mom called me and she just said, hey, you, you need to get ready. Like what? what your brother has to share is it's really going to be bad. It's really bad. Uh, and she was obviously in shock. And so my brother arrived at our house and, you know, you could tell there was so much distress in his face. Like he couldn't even look us in the eye. He couldn't accept a hug. Um, and he and his wife sat on one side of the couch and my husband and I sat on the other side of the couch and we, he, he has this rock that he holds. It's the perfectly round rock. And it's been with him for a really long time. And he couldn't let go of that rock. You could just see him, the, his knuckles white and just gripping, gripping this rock, looking far away as he finally was able to tell me that he had experienced sexual abuse from the age of five, five to 17 his entire childhood, he had been sexually abused. And at that moment, I saw my brother in so much pain. And what was going on is he had PTSD from all of a sudden um, realizing what had happened to him because he had been disassociative. He had suppressed a lot of memories. He knew something had happened but he didn't realize the extent of the, the trauma that he had experienced. And so the PTSD was triggering and that was, you know, causing these um, experiences to come flooding back. And he was reliving a lot of those events that had been, um, you know, long ago um, suppressed. And, you know, that revelation was for me as the biggest sis, oldest sister in the family, the one who, in my mind, you know, if you look at birth order and, and family stuff, like I'm there to protect. I am there to keep everybody just enthusiastically together. And it was like the, like the rug was pulled out from underneath me and I didn't even understand what my childhood was. Like the whole foundation felt like it was a lie. The whole, um, you know, I didn't understand like how 
could I have one experience in childhood and he could have something so traumatic and so different and so awful. And after my brother had shared um, as much as he could at the time, it wasn't a lot, but as much as he could, he, we, he left and um, I still remember just running as fast as I could to throw up. Like the information couldn't even reside inside of me. I just needed to throw up and I just kept throwing up and throwing up and throwing up um, because it couldn't, it's like the reality just couldn't even integrate into my, into my body. Um, and so that began a very long road and a very long journey for all of us to really relearn how to um, be a family, how to rebuild our trust in the world. Um, I mean, talk about an experience that makes you distrust pretty much everybody <laughs> you come across. And for, for my brother, um, it was touch and go there for a while. He would get so dissociated from his body that he, um, you know, he was, we were on suicide watch with him for extended periods of time where he, um, we would call him twice a day in the morning and at night. And there was an agreement if he didn't answer the phone that we were going to call, um, you know, the services and have them come and check on it in on him. And, you know, we were able to like, you know, all of us take turns and try to figure out how to support, but there, it's so hard to know how to show up for somebody who is going through such, so much. But I am so admirable of my brother because he has always just completely stuck to his desire to um, I, I hate the word victim, but it's like he was a victim of abuse, but he also is so committed to not maintaining a victim mentality and being able to learn and grow and help our family grow through this experience. Um, and of course, I can never understand what that is like for him. But in my story, um, in my way of understanding the world, it was, you know, a giant earthquake came through, shattered the foundation of pretty much everything I knew. And, you know, on top of the depression that I was already experiencing, I felt like I was like climbing with my fingers out of a pit and just like, you know, blood on my knuckles, just like, I am not going to go down. I am going to stay afloat. And it was that con consistent, like constant commitment to this can't be what life is about this amount of sadness and desperation that there has to be something that we can learn from this experience um, that really has and continues to keep me going. Thank you again for, for sharing, you know, just thank you. I am also the oldest and I, we, we have a running joke in my family that I'm the glue that holds us all together. Yeah. Um, and so I can relate to what that must've felt like as 
as the oldest sibling um, and hearing that news and, you know, absorbing as a family there to your point, like the reality that you thought you had of your childhood, what was the rea- the actual reality? And then how do you rebuild and go from there? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, we're still working at it to this day. I think we probably will be for the rest of our, our lives and really trying to figure out how to, um, continually heal and support each other in the way that we need to. Um, but I remember the day where, you know, it was, I worked with my therapist and doing a lot of different, you know, healing practices and, um, mindfulness was a huge part of what I learned and learning how to manage and hold and handle and sit with the discomfort of really big emotions that just, you know, feel like they're going to take over and just take you, you know, that, that feeling of the wave crashing over your head and, um, the undertow that can come with that. How do you um, manage to sit with that and find the equanimity that that feeling in the sense of riding the wave as opposed to being taken under? And it was probably years and years of practice before I finally started to um, feel like I could at least ride a, a surfboard for a little while <laughs> on those big waves. But I remember the day when I finally started to see that there was the the space and it was in the most simple and easy um, expression. It was, it was a day in February and there was a light dusting of snow on the ground. And, um, you know, I live in the Skagit Valley where there are like, we're well known for our tulip fields. So we have a ton of tulips. Um, and they come up in February. And so there was a, a, just a small stalk of a tulip leaf, the first of, you know, the leaves that come up and the sun was low on the horizon and it was just shining through that tulip leaf. So it was this vibrant, thriving, abundant green. And you could see, you know, just the, the feeling of here's this harsh ground covered in snow and here's this beautiful bud that is trying to bloom into uh, an amazing, you know, tulip flower and it's just starting to break through and the sun is catching that just in such a beautiful light. And I thought, just be the tulip. <laughs> that, that, that feeling, I, I, I felt the spark of joy finally, finally in my life, I felt that spark of joy looking at that sunlight coming through the leaf of the tulip. And I went, whoa, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Because look at this expression in nature, like breaking through the frozen ground and finding this growth. I love that. I literally have tears in my eyes. Um, (laughs) It reminds me, and I know you and I have chatted about this, but Brene Brown always says you, um, I'm going to butcher it, but you can't have joy. Like you can't have joy if you don't deal with the darkness, right? Like they are, 
they are actually entwined and is someone who has spent the better part of, you know, her 36 years of life, like shoving down her emotions, not wanting to deal with them, um, you know, building up really, really strong walls. The first time someone said, me, said to me, like, you have to sit with your emotions. I was like, say what? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>, no, <laughs> like, what do you, like, I don't even understand what you mean by that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it's just, and I think that's true for many of us, like to the extent of which people then like shove their emotions down, like probably varies, but we live in a society that is uncomfortable with emotion. Right. And so I just, I just love that analogy because, or that, that image that you saw, right. Because it's so, it's so true of life. And it's also just the gift of nature. Yeah. And so I just, I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is. I'm always impressed um, how much nature has to teach us when we're willing to look and listen. Um, So, so often we're moving so quickly in our lives that we just don't, don't want to pay attention. I guess that to me, that's been one of the gifts that we've received from this pandemic and the, the lockdown and the slowdown is like, but we can't go very far. So we are really connected to the seasons and the rhythm of the seasons and the places that we're living. And, you know, our major thing is like, we go out for a walk and we walk in the same loop for, you know, every day for a year. Um, and, and we're not being distracted by, you know, driving in a commute and, you know, trying to plan our next big epic getaway. It's just really focused and I have been really enjoying the that slowing down in connection to the rhythm of nature and, and seeing the tiny bits of growth or, or change that happen throughout the year. I love that. We yeah. just spent um, the holidays out in Massachusetts on um, Cape Cod. And I grew up on Long Island. I grew up near the ocean and the water. And as much as my husband likes to try to convince me that Lake Michigan is like an ocean it is not <laughs> not the same it's not the same i love all you midwesterners but it's not the same um and for me there is just this like i can't describe it but like as soon as i get back on the east coast as soon it, i feel this to the same to to some extent on the west coast too but i think on the east coast in particular because it's where i grew up it's just, it's just like I see the ocean and I'm like, oh, I'm home. Mm-hmm. This, I can literally feel my body sort of like decompress a little. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we, I similarly, I, I tried really hard on, on break um, to like not bring my phone places and just be present and enjoy those small moments mm-hmm. that we so often you know, aren't paying attention to. Yeah. 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 And I feel like we've had a lot of gifts of practice. (laughs) (laughs) We might have a few more coming our way too. So probably, yeah. You know, I, I, I'd be remiss not to ask you know, you, you went through, you've gone through this experience as a family, you've gone through your own experience, you know, 
you, you mentioned mindfulness, but were there, what did that journey on sort of like the, you know, I love the, the wave analogy. So you surf for a little bit, like, but now from the outside looking in, like you're a pro surfer. <laughs> and, 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 you know, like we all, we all have ups and downs, like uh-huh. yeah. I get that, but, you know, again, from my perspective, you, you, even how we started this conversation, I, like I have seen you grow so much. So what, what has that looked like for you? Where, yeah. where are you finding moments of joy now? Well, I have just decided that I, it, so to me, joy is like the ultimate expression of our spiritual self. It's sort of like love or freedom or empowerment. All those are the, the words that we use to really express ourselves as spiritual, spiritual beings having a human experience. And so the pursuit of joy and joy being very different from happiness, right? Happiness is sort of the external um, validation and, and, you know, getting of things, whereas joy is this, um, I liken it to like feeling like there's a little candle burning inside of you and it's always there. And sometimes it gets really big and sometimes it's just a little beautiful uh, flickering flame, but it's always there. And so my whole life, I've really worked to orient around what, what is joy, what brings me joy and making sure that it's always kind of at the forefront of knowing that even if in the moment I'm feeling really low and really down, because like, I still have those big, big, heavy, you know, hard, uncomfortable feelings. Um, But always recognizing that, well, I've, I've had worse. (laughs) It's kind of nice to have a backstop. Um, And then, um, but that there is always that um, possibility of moving forward. And, you know, a lot of different tools have helped me get there and a lot of people. So I, I'm still working with the same therapist and she still helps me every time that I see her um, really think about things differently. And uh, we've been in our relationship now long enough that she can really challenge me. And I'm like, Oh, darn, you know me too well. (laughs) (laughs) um but you know uh working into coaching programs um and going through those sorts of experiences have been absolutely transformational for me um but one of the things that's so simple and yet has so profoundly changed my life has been a very consistent gratitude practice And gratitude is something Brene Brown talks a lot about as well. And I'm always inspired by her work because it's so research-based and it makes so much sense. But uh, living in gratitude, I think, has shifted me from this scary sense of not safe. Like this experience with my brother um, really shook what my trust in humanity and my faith in people. I've always been an extremely trusting person. I've always been somebody who just thought everybody was out doing the best they can, that they all have goodwill. And so I still grapple with like what, you know, what was the mindset of the abuser and how do I understand that in this, in this belief that I have that we are all human beings having a spiritual experience. And that means that person is potentially also spiritual, but I can't, you know, sometimes can't go there. (laughs) Um, But um, finding the gratitude has allowed me to really uh, shift from unsafe 
to safe in the moment, from lack to massive abundance, and from you know this depression to appreciation. And it has been a really, really valuable component of reshaping and allowing me to even consider different ways of seeing things that might be stressful or hard um, that, you know, before I just, I couldn't quite get to. I was, I was often very stuck in a very victim mentality or a victim mindset. And I, I had a very hard time coming to the empowerment of how I might be able to become a more empowered person in, in my life. I love that. I love that gratitude is sort of the cornerstone for you. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And the first way I learned to practice it, I actually had um, an accountability partner and every day for months and months and months, we would go back and forth, send a message back and forth of what are the three things that we felt grateful for. But the key was, it wasn't just kind of dial it in. It's you had to actually spend time and feel the gratitude. You had to get into your heart and just really dig into it. So it's not just, oh, I'm grateful for electricity. It's like, wow, I, you know, I'm grateful for it because, or I'm grateful for this because, and really getting into that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this thing that I have gratitude for. Well, I've personally taken one of your gratitude courses and I, first of all, I didn't know there were so many different ways to think about (laughs) gratitude, like blew my mind off the bat, but you know, it's something that it seems so simple, Mm -hmm. but it's not. Mm -hmm. And I try to when, when it's my turn to put the girls to bed before they go to bed, I always ask them, what are their three gratefuls for the day? I love it. It, my girls are four and a half and two and a half. So you can imagine like what their answers are. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's something that <clears throat> I think is just so important to sort of instill early on, mm-hmm. especially in light of everything that's going on in the world right now. Yeah. And also to help my girls recognize that they have, you know, unearned privilege as white mm-hmm. to what we know at this point, cisgendered females. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, it also then like, I sort of view them as my accountability partners in a way, right. Yeah. I have to give them my, my great goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just think it's, it's, it's so, again, I don't want to, simple is not even the right word. It, it seems so simple, but it's really this like amazing, amazing thing. Yeah. I, it's funny. Cause I feel the same way. Like I'm like, Oh, it's just gratitude. You know, you just write a few things, but it's really, it just, it, it's just a very profound thing. I, I, I'm fond of asking my girls at the end of the night, what's the very best thing that happened today? Or what was your very best thing? And what that causes you to do is you have to search for, you search through all the good things. So you do an inventory of all the good that has happened. And um, and then you can choose the, the very top one. But it gives some reflection and time to really think about all the different things that have happened. I'm going to steal that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's, that is one of the exercises in the gratitude practice. 
I, I remember that one. And actually it was one that I would do, but I didn't think to do it for the girls. I'm definitely going to take that. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. It's really fun. Morgan, how can people continue to follow you on your journey? Yeah. So, um, it, it was a long journey and now I feel like I am in a place where I am very excited about helping other people find their joy and help them to start to look at their emotions, their mindset, their thoughts and their beliefs and unlock the potential and the joy and their own sense of being able to trust themselves um, as they move forward. So you can find me. I, I share a lot of that on Instagram at Morgan Ruff Uplift. And um, I do have a Facebook group uh, that is Uplift for the Wild Soul. And then, oh, I have a podcast, uh, Wild Sold Wild Women. And uh, folks who are interested in, we explore a lot of, lot of different things. Um, you know, because I am so rooted in nature, oftentimes we talk about um, the connection that we have to nature and to place. We, I explore uh, the depths of our feelings, mindfulness, and all, all the little tools and tricks and tips that, that come along with that. So that's another great place to learn more. Well, Morgan, thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for your, your rawness. Um, and sharing your experiences and your journey so um i'm going to say i want to say authentically but i feel like that's like a buzzword like just just thank <laughs> you for being you and for for sharing a little bit of of your wild soul with us um mm -hmm. I loved your analogy of joy is always within us and the flame is sometimes small and big and I want to carry that with me. I, I really, really appreciate that. And I think that you started the conversation saying that, you know, sometimes when you're going through things, it feels so much and, you know, you want people to take away that you, you can get through that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, now I like, when I think about that for myself, I'm going to picture that, that little candle um, yeah. and remember that it's always inside. I love that. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for allowing me to come and share my story. Well, thank you. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If something in the conversation resonated with you, please, please share it with a friend that you think needs to hear this conversation. Feel free to tag me on social media. Let me know how you're listening, where you're listening, and what resonated. Tag me at This Is My Truth Podcast, or feel free to shoot me a DM. And because we're a new podcast and this shit matters, I would love for you to leave me a rating and review. Tell me how you truly feel. This entire podcast is about vulnerability and authenticity. So let me know how you really feel and give me some feedback. I really appreciate it. <laughs>